Oh, turn it up. Got your icon pass, powder slash it. 50 plus destinations. Speaking of, did you get your icon pass yet, Sean? I'm on iconpass.com dropping in right now. Wow. From just $2.59 adult? Okay. Done. You don't really believe that stuff, do you? He said. Excuse me? Didn't hear you. As I took off my noise-canceling headphones, I guess they had more noise than canceling. You don't really believe that stuff in there, do you? He repeated again over the sound of lousy indie music and clanging espresso cups. What stuff and where? I was more confused than irritated at this point, but I could feel the irritation coming. It was a Saturday morning. My flight was leaving in five hours, and I needed a sermon before I landed at National Airport. Writing a sermon on a Saturday night or even Sunday morning is considered homiletical malpractice. And being in a congregation full of attorneys, I tried to avoid any form of malpractice. I'd forgotten where I was. You see, in Arlington, if you put a Bible on a table, whether it's a coffee shop or maybe you're at the bar and you want to be left alone, you can put a a Bible on the bar and people will not talk to you. People around here, you people know better than to stir up a conversation with anyone bold enough to openly carry a Bible in public. But I wasn't in Arlington. I wasn't in D.C. I was in Nashville. I was in the middle of the Bible Belt, that part of the country where the line between religion and public discourse intersects to the glee of many. Yet, I had found the one skeptic in Nashville. That stuff in the Bible, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? I do, I replied. And I'm quite busy right now, so if you wouldn't mind, I need to finish my work before I, before I head to the airport. What are you working on? Where are you headed? At that point, if I had outed myself as a professional Christian, not only would I have not finished my sermon, but I might have missed my flight. Well, I'm writing a position paper that'll be shared with a large organization tomorrow morning. I'm headed to D.C. My new friend got up to get his drink. I crossed my fingers. I said a prayer. Maybe I'd get lucky and he wouldn't find his way back to my table. But after a healthy dose of sugar and half a container of creamer, It was obvious that that Saturday morning was not my lucky day. Position paper, he asked as he sat down. And what's with the Bible? Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your ancestors find in me that they went far from me and went after worthless worthless things and became worthless themselves? We are continuing our journey with the prophets of the Hebrew Bible, and we find ourselves in 626 B.C., during the reign of King Josiah. The prophet Jeremiah is beginning the second chapter of his ministry, and he is addressing a people in exile, people who were trying to make sense of their situation, trying to figure out why things were happening and when the glory of Israel would return. Living in exile in Babylon, the concern for Jeremiah and the people of Israel 
is that their behavior had cost them everything that the Lord had given them. A nation, land, and freedom. The national security of Israel hinged on their obedience to God's law. The recipients of Jeremiah's prophecy, the recipients of the Lord's message, had moved from faithful living, from following the law that had been given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And they were now living more like the Baals, worshiping false idols, not following God's law and forgetting their set-apartness. But for the Lord, the Lord is less concerned with what is happening to Israel. The Lord's chief concern is what went wrong. The Lord is questioning how the devotion of Israel in the early years after escaping from Egypt, escaping through the Red Sea, lost its appeal. Like a self-assured attorney, the Lord began his line of questioning with a series of rhetorical questions. And the answers are more than obvious. The Lord committed no wrong in this relationship. The Lord was faithful, just like the Lord is faithful today. Beginning with, I brought you into a plentiful land to eat fruits and its good things. The Lord moves from rhetorical questions to declaratory statements, making clear what the Lord had done for Israel and what Israel was now doing in return. The Lord declares that Israel had become as worthless as the false gods they worshipped. Even the priests, even the professional religious types in the community didn't know the Lord. Israel could not hold the stagnant water they were attempting to survive on, let alone be filled with the life-giving water of God. Instead of filling themselves with the living water of God, they turned to false sources of life. And in turn, were no better than a leaking cistern. What's the Bible for, I replied? At this point, I didn't have a choice. My new friend was going to linger until he was satisfied with my response. Well, I'm a pastor, and my position paper I'm writing is my sermon for tomorrow, mor for tomorrow morning. The Bible is so that I can write my sermon focused on what God has said and what God is saying, and less on what I want to say. You think God is still speaking through that book? Because it seems to me that we've moved on from the Bible. It's old. It's out of touch. Plus, with how things are going in the world, have you seen what's happening in the world? I think God's moved on, forgotten about us. I think God's probably just given up. I hadn't answered the first question. And now there was a stack of questions before me that would take up more time than I was willing to give on the last day of my trip before heading home. Listen, I get it, I said sharply. It's easy to think that God has abandoned us. We have turned so far away from God. We've put our hopes in our own abilities to fix the world or make things turn out the way we think they should, that we've left little room for God. But to your first question, yes, I do believe the stuff written in that book. And I believe that God continues to speak to us through that stuff. 
Each scripture reading from the prophets over the past few weeks have begun with a similar line. Thus the Lord said, or God said, or like today, thus says the Lord. The Lord had something to say, and the prophets were the mouthpiece through which God would communicate to the people. And most of the time, the news coming from the Lord was bad news. And no one likes being a bearer of bad news, but that is one of the prophetic tasks given to each of the prophets, given to the prophets today. But remember, way, way, way back in Genesis 1, the Lord spoke and creation occurred. When the Lord speaks, things happen. God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the waters under the sky gather together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image. So God created humankind in the image of God. They were created. The Lord spoke, and Israel escaped from bondage in Egypt, escaping to freedom through the Red Sea. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, spoke, and the seas were calmed, the sick were healed, and the dead were raised. The Lord spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. The Lord spoke to Noah with a rainbow. The Lord spoke to the prophets, to Abraham, Moses, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, And today, Jeremiah, when the Lord speaks, things happen. According to theologian Karl Barth, all of Scripture and the entire Christian faith hang on the integrity of those four words from our reading today. Thus says the Lord. Everything we believe as Christians, everything we do here on Sunday morning, and everything that happens as an extension of worship stems from these four words, thus the Lord says. God said creation would happen, and it did. God said Israel would be a shining star to the nations, and it is. God did not forsake or abandon Israel when they turned to the gods of Baal, or ignored their set-apartness. God has spoken a promise, and in the church, we believe that promise is fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The loquacious God took on human flesh and showed us what faithful life looks like to the point of death, and then showed us that even death cannot separate us from God. If God is still speaking, what's God saying, he said? Well, we believe sermons, or our position papers, are the word of God. So judging from the word count I've accumulated with you sitting here, I don't think God has much to say right now. But generally, I continued, I believe that God is telling us through God's holy word, through preachers and poets, through songwriters, through the saints of the church, through skeptics and cynics, that God has not given up on us. When the world appears to be coming apart at the seams, when it seems like God has gone AWOL, the Lord is still speaking a word of grace to us. 
Grace means there's nothing we can do to undo what God has spoken over creation. No matter how often we fail to love God, to love our neighbors, to love ourselves. He wasn't pleased or satisfied with that. Yeah. What's God spoken over creation? That we're forgiven. We're free from our sins. That God does not hold an accounting of the tearing apart that we have done or the tearing apart that we will do. And the tearing apart doesn't hold the final word. I don't know if I can believe that, preacher, he said. It's, it's not that God's left us. It's that we've left God. We don't listen. We don't care. Many of us are too self-involved. We ignore, or worse, we distort God's words, making Jesus whom we want him to be or disregard him completely because he isn't doing what we expected. He isn't fulfilling our agenda. So when you say you don't know if you can believe the good news of God, that's okay. Because God still believes in you and waits for you to get your life together. Your lack of belief or, or skepticism doesn't make it any less true. In the same way that my belief doesn't make God's continued work in the world any truer. In fact, I think God has something to say by sticking us together this morning. At that point, I took a breath. I hoped our conversation was over. Well, he replied, if God is speaking, I wish God would speak a little louder. Me too, I said. But in the meantime, God's grace speaks louder than any silence or echoing boom. Now, my Uber is here, and I've got to run. I offer it to you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit.